So, Father, this morning we just pray, would you help us both to preach and to hear your word? Lord, we pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this house today. Lord, that Christ would be lifted up. Lord, that you would be glorified. But, Lord, that we could truly say, even at the end of this meeting, that great is the Holy One of Israel that's in the midst of thee. Lord, do a mighty work today, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help the preacher. Help us to hear, Lord. We're frail. We're weak, Lord. But, oh, God, thou art worthy this morning, Lord. Lord, we pray even that you would take us, Lord, as we are. But, Lord, that you would be glorified through our weakness, Lord, that you would be lifted up, and that the power of Christ may be upon us today, Lord. Oh, God, today would you minister into every life and every heart, Lord, would you enable us to hear and illuminate our understanding, O oh God, Lord, that it's not just words, but, Lord, that they are quickened by the power of your Spirit. And Lord, that they would find a place in our hearts and it would be mixed with faith. And, Lord, that you would do such a mighty work in lives today, Lord. Oh, Father, have your way, Lord, where your word is preached across this land and across these nations this morning. We pray that the name of Jesus would be glorified, that the church would be raised up out of slumber and sleep. Lord, that we, O oh God, this morning, Lord, would give you all the glory and all the praise. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Let's take our seats together uh, this morning. <clears throat> We're going to just look at this wonderful chapter and in particular, uh, that verse there that says, Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. You know, Isaiah is, well, they're all wonderful books, but there's something very special about the book Isaiah. It is known as the fifth gospel because the revelation of the person, of his birth, of his life, of his death, Isaiah 53, and everything about who he was and who he is and who he will be is found in this wonderful prophecy, the prophet Isaiah. And we know that he's also dealing with current affairs in his time, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and the judgments of God and, and so forth. But it's a wonderful uh, parallel between that which was the natural and also looking forward to that which was to come, that Jesus was coming, the Messiah would be born, that he would come and he would be the great deliverer. And yet at the same time, he's speaking with Israel and God's dealing with them. Woven through this prophecy, we see that there is hope that rises in the hearts of men and women and the hearers of the word because they were in a time where God was about to bring great judgment upon them but yet through all of the judgments of God, there was hope. When the prophets came, they came, of course, with the heart of God to say often that why God was so displeased and grieved, but also there was the real compassion and the love of God to call a people back even onto himself. And what you find in, in these chapters here, chapter 11, you right through, you see it laced with this great revelation. It just... It's as though the, the glory is just piercing through the pages. When you, when you stop and you read something and then suddenly you read, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. The glory of Christ is, is bursting through the Old Testament and in particular these prophecies. And often in the types of the judgments that were coming, for example, when, when God and, and through the prophet is speaking about Egypt, there was a literal Egypt uh, historically, and also there is a figurative type of what that means. Egypt speaks of the power of darkness, being enslaved in sin. Pharaoh speaks of Satan. And the parallel, this is a mere shadow of the greatness of what God has done, how he delivered us out of the powers of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his own dear son. Egypt speaks of the time when we were imprisoned to sin, we were slaves to sin, we were under the rule and the reign of Pharaoh. We, we had no hope, we were without hope. We cried by reason of our bondage. And thank God, Jesus heard us. And he came down and he saved us. And that, that's the types and the shadows. If, if you read it with an open heart and say, God, speak to me and show me, 
you'll suddenly see the types and the wonderful shadows. And these are mere shadows of this wonderful salvation. If you're saved this morning, you were once in Egypt. You were once a slave to sin. You were once under the powers of darkness. You were once without hope. You were once blind. You were once dead in your sin. You were under the great grip of the enemy and the powers of hell and darkness. But then the hand of Jesus touched me. He delivered us out of that power. And so you see these parallels in the scriptures. And we see it there in chapter 11. Just as we're coming to the end, and in the chapter 12, he speaks of the destruction of Egypt, where we once were, where we once lived, and how the Lord has delivered us and, and set us wonderfully free. Thank God it's good to be free this morning. It's good to be saved, isn't it? It's good to be washed in the blood. Are you happy to be washed in the blood? Are you glad your sins, which are many, are all washed away? Praise the Lord. Are you glad that your name's written in heaven this morning? Are you glad you didn't wake up with a hangover lying in some street somewhere, but you're clothed and in your right mind? Are you happy this morning about that? The world get happy about a lot of things, but I tell you, friends, it's great to rejoice in this great salvation. But often what you find when when the, when the Old Testament and in the New Testament, when God reminds them of Egypt, the reason he's reminding them of Egypt, Israel in particular, who are written for our example, is because Israel forgot. Israel forgot what God had done for them. If you turn over into Psalm 78, just to show you this, they often forget the mighty works of God. They forget what God has done. They forget the hole that he delivered them out of. They forget the mess that they were in. And that often was a great problem for Israel. They'd forgot. And in Psalm 78 and verse 40, and you'll find this uh, littered throughout the Scriptures, right into Paul dealing with it as well, with the church at Corinth. In Psalm 78 and verse 40, he says, How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? And they turned back and they tempted God and then it says these words, and limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, if I think of the word limited, it would mean to restrict God. But this Hebrew word here is only found once in the Old Testament. And I believe it goes a lot deeper than just restricting God. It actually means that they grieved God. Imagine that you could grieve the Holy Spirit that you could actually grieve God, that God can be grieved by his people. The Bible tells us, of course, in Ephesians 4 and 30, that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I think this morning, I don't believe anyone intentionally is grieving the Lord or wants to grieve the Lord. The one that saved us, the one that loved us, the one that's kept us, the one that's blessed us. There's not, not one of us who are the children of God, who are born of the Spirit, want to grieve God. There's none of us want to grieve Him. But even Israel, in their ignorance and in their murmuring and in their complaining, they forgot what God had done for them, and God actually was grieved. It's to make sorrowful or, or to affect with sadness or to throw into sorrow. And how did this happen? How was it that they grieved God? Well, the next verse, verse 42 then says, they, re they remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt, there it is, and his wonders in the field of Zoan. They had forgot they forgot the mighty hand of God. They forgot what God had done. Have you forgot what God has done in your life? Have you forgot the day that the Lord saved you? Have you forgot the day and the pit that he delivered you from? Have you forgot the mighty hand of God in your life? Have you forgot that? They remembered not his hand. The day that he delivered us from the power of darkness. Listen, think about it, friends. This morning that we're sitting here clothed and in our right mind is a miracle for many, even in itself. Here's a greater miracle. It's a miracle that by the grace of God, some of you are actually here and not ready already in a lost sinner's hell. Isn't that true? And how he's lifted us and he's cleansed us, and he's washed us, and he's set our feet upon the rock. The 1 Samuel 2 and 8 says, He raised the poor out of the dust. He lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill. 
to set them among princes, to put a song in our heart, even praise to our God. It's amazing what the Lord has done. Have you forgot? We're so prone to forget, aren't we? Is it just me? I'm at the stage now, you walk in the room, I'm trying to work out why you came there. And then you go back out again and say, why did I go in that room and I can't remember? Then three days later, I remember. That's why I was in that room. We're so easy to forget, aren't we? And they, not, they did not remember what the Lord had done. I grieved the Lord. Friends, I don't want to grieve the Lord. I have no intention to grieve. I don't want to grieve him. I want to tell you we're frail. He remembers we're dust, and he remembers our frame. And so often, so often, we forget what the Lord's done. We forget what he's done. Think of not only the day that he saved you. Think of the blessings that's been upon your life. Think of the things and the miracles that have happened and the provision and the healings and the deliverances. And you're kept, the Bible says, you are kept by the power of God. There is not one person in this room that you're keeping yourself. And the day that you think you're keeping yourself, you're in trouble. But we are kept by the power of an almighty God. It's great to be kept this morning. But we forget so easy. Then it closes out, and if you go back into Isaiah chapter 11, it just closes out uh, this last verse. I'm just bringing it into the context. Isaiah 11 and 16. And the prophet says, and there's going to be a highway for the remnant of his people. God's going to make a way for his remnant. God's going to make a way for his remnant to go through which shall be left from Assyria like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt, that God said, listen, see my remnant. I want to tell you who the remnant are this morning. The remnant are those that are washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the remnant. Those that are washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. If you're washed this morning, would you say amen? amen. You're the remnant. The remnant isn't some exclusive elite group in some corner somewhere, somewhere over this globe. The remnant are all over this world and they're washed in the blood and they're out of every tribe and they're out of every tongue. You're the remnant. God says, I'm going to make a way for the remnant. God says, I'll make a way for the remnant. The remnant that are washed and the remnant that have oil in their lamps. There's going to be a way. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this is so important. Because these days are changing so quickly, so rapidly. The events and the things that are happening, you really can't keep up with them. To be honest with you, sometimes I don't want to keep up with them. But in the midst of all of this, God's got a way for the church of Jesus Christ to march through it triumphantly, no matter what's going to happen. There's a way for the remnant. There's a way through all of this. Isaiah again says, if you turn over to Isaiah 35, he says, there in Isaiah 35 and verse 8, there's a highway there and a way. You're looking at all of this this morning, looking at all that's happening in this world. I just want you to hear this this morning. God's got a way through it all. He's got a way through it all. And it's called, listen very carefully this morning, because not everyone's on this path. I want you to hear me, young and old. Not everyone's on this path, but the remnant are, and only the remnant. You see, there's a great divide. A highway shall be there in a way, and it should be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those the wayfaring men. Though fools shall not err therein, no lion shall be there, or the ravenous beast shall not go upon it. It shall not be found there. But the Bible says that the redeemed are going to walk there. See, there's a way in all of this that we are in, that we are seeing, that we sense that's unfolding before us. There's a way through all of this for the redeemed of the Lord. There's a way for us to walk in the midst of a world that's, that's waxing worse and worse and the immorality is sinking lower and lower and the depths of wickedness is all around us. 
But thank God there's a path and there's a way for us to walk. It's the redeemed that walk there and it's the ransom, the Bible says, of the Lord. And they'll return and they'll come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy is upon their heads and they obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing is going to flee away. There's a way for the church to walk and the end of this way is glory. And the sufferings of this present age are not even to be compared to the glory that's coming. What a day that's going to be. We're going to enter glory with the songs of Zion and the songs of deliverance and the mourning and the sang is going to pass away. Glory to God. And we'll obtain the joy and the gladness of God. There's a way. Friends, not everyone's on this way. I want you to hear me carefully. Not everyone's on the narrow path. That leads to life eternal. Not everybody's on it. You might be in church, but that doesn't mean you're on this path. You might attend every meeting, but that doesn't mean you're on the highway of holiness, the way that leads to life eternal. The Bible tells us clearly in 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 that neither fornicators, that's those that have sex outside of marriage, or idolaters, or adulterers, those that take other people's wives or husbands, nor the effeminate or the abuser of themselves themselves with mankind. That's the homosexual. That's what the Bible says. Listen carefully. This is not a, a beaten session of homosexuals or anyone else because such were some of you. Fornicators, adulterers, abusers of ourselves with mankind. But we have been washed in the blood this morning. The blood cleanses and sets free every sin. But you see, friends, this morning... This is what the Bible says. This is what the truth says. This is the Scripture this morning. This is the infallible and earned Word of God. It never changes. Cultures change. Men change. Laws change. Political systems change. But God's Word does not change. Nor thieves. Nor the covetous. Nor the drunkards or the revilers. Nor the extortioners. The Bible says, listen carefully, they'll not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, there's a way. There's a way. Thank God there's hope for every man and every woman and every older person and every younger person. Not hope's in the blood of Jesus Christ. Not hope, not hope is in Him alone through repentance and faith that this morning you can get off that path that leads to destruction and you can get on the narrow way that leads to home and leads to glory. As many people think they're on the path. I want to tell you, friends, unless you're saved and washed in the blood, We've been singing about the coming of the Lord this morning and surely it's soon. But some glad morning, when this life is over, I'm going to fly away. For years we've had an agenda. I believe it started a long time ago. It's the eternal spiritual warfare that's taken place in the age in which we're living in. I remember number of years ago in Whitewell, uh, Ken Ham, many of you would know him, Answers in Genesis. He's a great man of God. has a great passion uh, for the truth of God, the truth of God's Word, the literal truth of God's Word. I remember he said one time that in explaining the whole purpose of what God has called him to, that God had shown him that when you distort the beginning, everything else implodes. When you take away the beginning and it was that statement that he made that really just grasped me because once you take away the beginning, that there's a beginning, then people will automatically, if there's no beginning, then there's no end. And there's no God. And we remove God from our conscience. We remove God from our society. We remove God from our schools. We remove God from everything. And then the glory of his creation that we look upon and we see, and in all of that, the, the, the crowning Part of his creation is mankind. But when you take God out of the equation, then we are no more than just like the animals. We're no different to the animals. There's no purpose to our life. But I want to tell you, friends, that you and I have been made in the very image of God. And here we see even 
We see even in the days in which we're living in the times that the church is trying its best to accommodate the intellectuals of this world. For example, when we come to in the beginning God created, we have now a a thought that comes into it and people are a little bit touchy about it and don't really want to get involved in it that in some way it's called theistic evolution that some way God used evolution in order to create man. I don't believe that for a second. Don't believe it for one minute. Well, what do you think about, you know, because I've heard people say this and they say it to me, what do you think about them? See, when you're looking at those stars... Remember the Bible says, and God made the stars also. Remember that says that, right? And when you're looking at the stars and see for that light to travel from that star, and by the time it reaches the earth, then we're able to calculate how old the earth is, and it must be millions of years old. What about God when he said, let there be, and it was? There was light at the star and there was light on the earth instantly. Anyone believe that? Well, I'm not too sure about that, you know, because the scientists say, I want to tell you, friends, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Turn to Joshua chapter 10 and verse 13, just for one second. And this is how awesome our God is. Joshua 10 and 13, the battle was fierce. But God was for Joshua. In Joshua 10 and 13, it says, listen to these words. And the sun stood still. (laughs) Hey, isn't that amazing? Now think about it for a moment. In our universe, our galaxies, apparently the other day they found a few more million galaxies. Some wee man sitting on top of a mountain with a telescope and says, there's another one. He made them all. But there was a day, the Bible says, that God caused the sun to stand still. Do you know, if you think about that for a moment, you see, we we try to bring God down, squeeze him into some scientific box. We, We aren't apologists. We're apologizing for God. That's what we're doing. We're apologizing for God to try and make it fit into science. I know not everyone may agree, but this is what I believe. But for God to cause the sun to stand still in the moon, you know that every planet in this universe and all the orbit, how it's all set and fixed absolutely perfectly and kept in order by an almighty God, that the whole of the universe had to stop as well. What an awesome God we... Isn't that amazing? And then we have someone saying, well, maybe God used evolution to try and bring a... Friends, I want to tell you something. In the beginning, God. God. You see, when they start, and they've already are well on the road to this, the final assault, I believe it is the final assault, is to attack the creation, the cornerstone of every society and that's the family unit. Fathers and mothers. Fathers and mothers. When, when they come to that point, I believe we're, we're running into the long-suffering of God when they attack what a man is, what a woman is. Friends, I want to tell you when a Supreme Court judge of the greatest nation apparently, on the earth, can't simply answer the question, what is a woman? And she responds, I can't answer that. I'm going to tell you something. I think Ezra should be the next Supreme Court judge because he knows what a boy is and he knows what a girl is. That's where we're at. You see, something wonderful happens and this all goes into the whole abortion, everything of what's happened. Something wonderful happens. The miracle of life, there's a couple of the women here carrying a wee baby, but I want to tell you, it's a miracle. It's the miracle of life in the womb. But something happens when that sperm fertilizes that egg 
And in that instant moment at conception, that little life receives what we know as DNA. DNA is your code. Can I tell you something? Every person in this room has their own individual DNA. And it will never be repeated. So the next time that your wife says to you, there's no one like you, you tell her, you better believe it. There's no one like me. I am unique. <laughs> I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Praise the Lord. There's no one like you. Your DNA will never again be repeated. God has created you at conception. It's the miracle of life. It doesn't matter so much, and I understand this, how all that happened, but when you came into this world, you are unique in the sight of God. You are precious in the sight of Almighty God. You're not a mistake. You are created by an Almighty God, and God has brought you into this world. And in that DNA, when that happens at that moment, I don't want to hear people saying, well, they've reduced it to 12 weeks. It's life given by God. Oh, it's really good because it's not going to be after 12 weeks. That's life. That's life. And in that DNA, that's a unique code. It's God's, it's God's formation of who you are. They can tell, and when it's big enough, they can tell about seven weeks at a prenatal, they can tell the color of your eyes. They can tell what, what color your hair is going to be from the DNA. Once that happens, they can tell what, what color your eyes. Oh, look at your blue eyes. We have to wait to the, is it the 12-week scan or the 20-week scan and say, there he is, look at him. And I'm looking, going, I can't see him. No, the wee thing, did you see it? And I just go with the sea black and white. You know, I can't, but it's there. And it's life. And here's the uniqueness of all of this. You'll have chromosomes now listen to me, friends, because you would nearly think, imagine a preacher having to preach this. Imagine a preacher. Imagine having to preach in this day what a man is and what a woman is. Do you see how perverted we are as a nation? Do you see how we have turned that which is good to evil and that which is evil to good? Do you see where we're morally bankrupt? Do you see what is happening across this world? But what you'll find in your DNA, you're either a man or you're a woman. With those chromosomes XX or XY, that's it. And if you live a life and you die, and a hundred years or five hundred years later, they dig you up and they check your DNA, you'll either be a man or a woman. Doesn't matter what your feelings were when you were living this earth, or you changed your name from Jim to Jane. It doesn't matter, you're a man or a woman. Sorry if I'm getting a little bit excited. But you want to be in the car with me when I'm listening to the radio. This is crazy, but I want to tell you something, friends. This is a satanic indoctrination of our young people. And it's rampant all over the world. And unless the preachers and the men of God and women of God stand up with a trumpet to their lips and not with hatred in our hearts. I don't hate anyone. They'll call you hate this and that. I don't hate anybody. But I want to tell you, friends, it's the time that the church sounded a clear sound. We'll not have that junk in here. You're born man or a woman. You're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. And we've got a hope for those that have been overtaken by the spirit of the age. Here's the hope. Jesus Christ can set you free. I praise the Lord. I pray. I told you and I believe this. This place is going to be an inn. And what Jesus brings to that door is going to be an awful lot of people that have been caught up with the spirit of this age. And you know what we're going to do, friends? We're going to love them. We're going to encourage them. And we're going to teach them the word of God and the way of the Lord. You know, a couple of days ago, a headline came up in the BBC the two women were rejoicing and so glad because they just had a baby together. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to use an expression you might have heard before. That's fake news. Hey, do you believe that's fake news? 
That's never going to happen. That's lies. But they want you to be conditioned in your mind that that's normal. I want to tell you something, friends. They can do what they want with me. They can do whatever they want with me. But I want to tell you, friends, I was brought up right and I was brought up well. And in my school, Beaver Park Primary School, I was brought up the right way. Might have been in trouble a lot of times, but I knew what a boy was and I knew what a girl was. And that's not changed. Not because I say it, because the Word of God's true. You see, they might march our streets in their thousands, wave their flags. It was 30 years ago, there was 50 of them. 30 years on, there's tens of thousands of them marching the streets of Belfast, waving their flags. But they can't walk this path as the redeemed of the Lord. They can see repentance and faith, but they'll never walk this path with their flags. See, there's an agenda now to bring all of this to the rural areas of our nation, to make sure all the towns and the villages, make sure you all know that we're here. Well, I want to tell you, friends, they can walk up that alleyway, they can walk up Main Street, they can go up High Street, they can go up every street they want, but they'll not walk this street. That's the redeemed of the Lord. And such were some of you. Praise the Lord, but we're washed this morning. We're sanctified. We're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Praise the Lord. It's good to be saved, isn't it? When we break into this chapter, it'll not be too much longer, but when we break into chapter 12, it says, In that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. This is the coming of Christ, the Messiah, the salvation that he brings. Thou wast angry, your anger is turned away. Thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning. Do not be afraid. I want to keep saying this through this all because things are going to change in the next few months dramatically again. I just want to warn you of that. I believe it. But things are going to change again. Things are going to change dramatically again in the next few months by, by the end of this year for sure. But I want to tell you for the church of Jesus Christ, we're not to fear. We're not to fear. We are not a people that have the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We will not fear. Thank God this morning we have the peace of God. Don't be afraid. And I want to encourage you in that we will not fear because God is our salvation. There's things that are about to happen, I believe, that are going to affect our freedoms, are going to affect our finances, and are going to affect in some way spiritually, and I believe also naturally, famine. There's a famine of the hearing of the Word of God, but I believe there's going to be great changes across the world, even concerning famine. And there's a financial crisis that we're on the verge of. And the freedoms of the church are going to be removed. We might say, well, we're a Christian country. We're not. We're a post-Christian country. We're living in a secular, pagan society. But for the church of Jesus Christ, regardless of what happens, what comes our way, what shakings take place, we will not fear. Because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And He is in us, the Bible says, greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. We are not to fear. But things are going to change. It says there in verse 3, therefore, it says with joy, and I believe this is the, the, the message of what we need to know as we move forward by the, by the grace of God and God willing in the days ahead, therefore with joy we will draw water from the wells of salvation. That the church of Jesus Christ must know what it is to draw again from these wells. To draw out of the wells. We've been drawn from wells that are empty and filled in and broken cisterns. We've been trying to find methods and ways in order to survive, to sustain, to reach, to do whatever. But thank God there is a well. There's wells of salvation this morning that we must draw from. The Bible says that with joy... We're to draw this water. We sung it this morning that we rejoice with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. But friends, we want to have that joy of the Lord, which is our strength. 
And so many are losing the joy. It's a battle against the, I believe it's a spiritual battle against the church of Jesus Christ. But there's nothing like the joy of the Lord. There's nothing like the joy of the Lord. The Bible says it's actually our strength. It's what makes us strong in the midst of the battle. Paul the Apostle was heading into a very difficult time in his ministry and in his life. And certain martyrdom was ahead of him. And he said in Acts chapter 20, if you turn to it, verse 22, and I believe this should be the cry of every heart, but he said these words in Acts 20, 22, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things, I don't know the things that are going to happen uh, that will befall me there. Save, this is what happened, the Holy Ghost is witnessing in every city that bonds and afflictions abide in me. The Lord has spoken to him and given prophetic words in every city. Paul, in every place that you go, there's bonds and afflictions ahead. Imagine a prophetic word like that. Imagine the Spirit of God speaking that way. But I believe that the Bible teaches us that in the last days, there'll be tribulation, there'll be great turmoil on the earth, there'll be the nations shaking. Everything is going to be unfold in these days. But nobody said, but none of these things are going to move me. I am not going to be moved. And church, we can't be moved in the days in which we're living in. Neither count I dear my, my life dear to myself. And nobody says, I want to finish my course. Do you know what, how I want to do it? I want to finish it with joy. See, it's how many have lost their joy. And all the trials and the tribulations and the things that are happening the pressures of life and the difficulties in homes and all the circumstances that are coming. And so easy, isn't it? To, isn't it so easy to lose your joy? Paul says, I want to finish this no matter what's going to happen. But praise the Lord, I'm going to finish this with joy. Church, I believe this morning we need the joy of the Lord because it's going to be our strength. And then he goes on to say that when you come with joy... I want you to draw from the wells of salvation. I'll be closing just in a few minutes, but this is important. I want you to come and draw, come with joy, but draw from the wells of salvation. You know, Jesus said in the last, in the great day of the feast, in the last day, he stood and he cried and he said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me, and out of his, he that believeth in me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The resource for the church, the resource for you and me, the resource for us in these days, it's not in the things of the world. It's not in the mechanics even of church life. It's not in the doing and the going. But there's a resource for the church right in this day. The 21st century church has a resource. And it's the same resource as the first century church. It's the living waters. Jesus says, out of your belly shall flow living waters. And He's speaking of the Spirit. There's a resource for us. And I'm reminded of the woman in, in John chapter 4. If you turn back to it just for a moment, it's a very well-known scripture and an encounter with the Lord, the woman uh, that came to that well. The Lord had said, I must needs go to Samaria. He's on the well. He's weary in body. He's sitting at the well. This woman comes. Her life, we know, is filled with sin and darkness and, and everything else. It's a broken life. And the Lord wants to meet this woman, this broken life. And there's this interaction between the Lord and this woman, but there's a point in the interaction. I want you to see it. I just noticed this, that there actually is a moment in this interaction that this woman moves out of the natural reason, and it's like a light is turned on in her understanding. Initially, she's asking for this water that he's talking about, and she's reasoning herself out that why would you talk to me? I'm, I'm from Samaria. You shouldn't have any dealings with me. There's a whole natural reasoning that's taking place. And then when he talks to her and says, listen, I want you to hear this this morning. This is so important because in the days ahead, this is where we're going to have to draw from. Listen, this is where we're going to have to draw from. You may not think that this morning. You might think this is just another message. You might think we're just going through the motions again. But I'm going to tell you, friends, we're going to have to know what it is to draw from this well 
These wells of salvation in the days ahead. And she's reasoning out with the Lord in a logical way. She's talking to Him. And He says, I'll give you living water. Look at me. I'll give you the living water. You come out here for this, but I can give you what you're really looking for. I can give you the answer to your life. That's what Jesus is saying. And she's looking at the Savior. She's looking at the Creator of the worlds. She's looking at Jesus Himself, the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Him. She's looking into His eyes. And do you know what she says in verse 11? When He says that I can give you this water, she says, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with and the well is deep. She's looking into Almighty God's eyes. And in her natural reason, she's saying, but you can't. You don't have any means to meet my need. You have nothing to meet my need. And I want to tell you something else. See this well. See my problem. See what I'm going through. It's so deep, but you can't meet my need. That's what she's saying. And you might have come through these doors this morning in your natural reason. You might have slept the first half hour of this message and maybe suddenly you're waking up a little bit and in your reasoning, we have sung the songs about the Lord and what He can do and how great He is and He's a joy unspeakable and full of glory and the power that's in the Almighty blood and He's able to deliver. We heard a message at the beginning that God's able to deliver you and set you free. But in your natural mindset. How many of us have done it? We're looking at the Savior. We're singing about the Savior. We're remembering Him around the table as Christians. But in our natural mindset, we're saying to God, what means have you got to meet my need? My well is deeper than anybody else's well. No one's going through my situation and you haven't got the means to meet my need and my well so deep but you are the answer. I know that, but you can't give it to me. And there are people in this room this morning, you're in the natural realm. You're thinking the natural thoughts. You believe in God. You know that He's Almighty. You know that He created everything. There isn't anything too hard for Him. Praise the Lord. But then when it comes to you and your problems and what you're going through, and how deep your well is. And you're saying to God, but God, how? She's saying, how can you draw from this well? How can you give me what I need? It's impossible. I know who you are, but you cannot do it. Do you know the church is filled with the natural mind? The church is filled with the natural We'll go out the door of a service with the presence of the Lord. We'll sing about the God that's almighty that can pull the giants down and melt the mountains and raise the dead. We'll, we'll sing about what He can do and we'll not go two foot through that door and we've already gone into the natural mind. We're already talking up our problems, talking up the impossibilities, talking up what, what God... He can't do it, but He can't do it for me. The Bible says this, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the Bible says the things of the Spirit. She's looking at the Creator in the eyes. He's speaking of living waters. He's saying, she's saying, but you have nothing to draw and the well is so deep. You see, that natural mind is the greatest hindrance to the power of God moving this day. Can I tell you, friends, listen to me carefully. The greatest hindrance to God moving in power through the church of Jesus Christ is not the devil. I believe there's devils and there are believers demonic strongholds, but that's not the problem that God has. It's this natural mind. It's this natural thinking. It's this thought process. Well, he's not really able to do it because see our well. Oh, let me show you. Can you see the bottom of this one? This is the biggest and the deepest well ever. How is it possible that God could meet my need? Jesus said to her, Whosoever drinks of the water, of this water shall thirst again. That natural mind. Do you know what that means? What he's saying is, You'll just come next week with the same mindset 
and you'll leave the same way in which you came. You'll just come week in and week out and it's the same thing, it's the same mountain, it's the same problem, but you'll never get the victory because it's the mind. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the mindset. And he said, you drink of this, you'll, you'll thirst again, but whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him, he says, praise the Lord, you're never going to thirst again. You'll never thirst again. The water that I shall give them will be in him a well of water springing up the everlasting life. My friends, here's the moment. Here's the moment that the light, or I believe the illumination of the Holy Spirit, dawns in her mind. The woman said unto him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. She's moved from the natural thought. Now she's not saying words. How are you going to draw this? How are you going to get to the bottom? Suddenly she sees him for who he is. That he's able to meet her need. And she just simply says, Sir, oh, give me this water. Just give me this water. How to draw from these wells is going to be essential in the days ahead, I want, to, I, want you to, I want to encourage you, but you're going to have to know this. We're going to have to know this. How can I draw? How can I draw with joy from these wells? How can I do it? In James chapter 1, verse 6, this is what the Bible says. James 1 and 6. But let him ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his way. We want to receive these living waters. This double-mindedness has to be purged from the church that in some ways we can do it. We're... we're We've got this together, Lord. We're able to do it. There's a natural side. We can do this. And yes, Lord, if you just give us a little help along the way. I'm going to tell you, friends, we can't receive anything from the Lord. But we come this morning and say, Oh God, in faith, Lord, we want to drink from this well. We want this morning, Lord, we want to draw from the wells of salvation. What's in that well? I want to tell you what's in that well, Joanna. Healing's in that well. I want to tell you this morning for that Nas family, there's healing in these wells this morning. I know the enemy will play with that mind. I know that the natural mind will always try to come back in. And Julia's sitting at home or sitting in hospital this morning. I want to tell you there's healing for motor neurons disease in this well. Listen, friends, there's healing for every type of cancer in this well. Listen, friends, this morning, there's deliverance in this well. There's your baptism in the Holy Ghost. It's in this well. But the greatest hindrance is that natural mind. Listen, I'm confessing the greatest hindrance is this natural mind, this natural thought process. It cannot receive. Too many wells are filled in. I don't know whether to share this or not, but I think I will now. I'm already one step out on the gangplank. And it's only about six foot long, so of a sink. But I want to tell you, friends, I know that there is a pressing against that well, that river, that life. There's a pressing against it. There's only one person who knows it more, and that's my wife, and I've shared it with her. But I want to tell you, there's a pressing. There's something of a pressing against the church and against us as believers in this day. There's a time... It seems like maybe for a year I woke up every morning and I felt this awful lost feeling way deep down in my spirit. Sunday mornings on the waking up, friends, I want to tell you, I, I would rather go home than come to church because of the battle. I know preachers have told me, don't share your weaknesses. I'm telling you, friends, I know there's a power that is against us and there's a natural mind that would say we're better just to give up. But I want to tell you, friends, I want to draw from the world. There's waters. And I've talked to the Lord and I've said, Lord, what is it? And I've had no reply. And I've said, Lord, I love you. I believe that you've got your hand on our lives. It's not about being a preacher or not being a preacher or a ministry or anything. I want to walk with God. I want to finish with joy the course. 
And there's a pressing and there's an enemy and there's a natural mind that comes. But I want to tell you, friends, I want to say with this woman this morning, Sir! Hallelujah! I want the water! I don't want to work it out. I don't want to talk it through. I don't want to sit down in a pastor's corner and go, <laughs> look what they've done. I want to go through with God and finish the course. I don't want a mope in corner. I want us to go through with God. Wake up at the back row. Let's serve God. Let's go through with God. We need the wells. We need the draw. We need to draw, we need to draw. I tell you why. There's a world around us going to hell as fast as it can. There's broken homes, broken lives. Fifteen men and women have died in the streets of Belfast. And we're asleep. My God, get rid of the natural mind and the religious mind. And let's draw from the wells of salvation. Lord, deliver the church. Especially the church in Ulster. How we pat ourselves in the back. Gospel preaching. Hellfire, fundamentals, hold the fort. I'm going to tell you, friends, the Lord's grieved. I tell you, I might be a voice that no one else agrees with, but I want to tell you, He's grieved with the natural mind. How we've grieved the Holy One. And yet He sits at the well and He says, Come, come, draw from the wells, draw for your family. Draw for your, for the world around you. Draw out of these wells. Oh, I tell you, friends, sir. Is there a sir? I believe in that, sir. I just felt it this morning. In that second, sir, there was a surrender. There was a surrender. Oh, give me this water. Give me this water. I want to drink. Do you want to drink? You want to drink this morning? You want to drink? From this fountain. Do you want to drink this morning? Oh, I want to drink from these wells. The wells of salvation. Friends, this morning, God help us. God help us. Lord, get, get rid of the stuff. As Nikki prayed. The natural mind. Oh, listen. It's not time for bickering and getting on. It's not time for not speaking to people. I want to tell you, friends, the church needs to grow up. We need to grow up. We need to live for God. We need to live for God. But we need to draw from these wells. Praise the Lord. Who wants to draw? Sir, give me this water. I want the water, do you? I want the water. Let's stand together this morning.